Well, this morning, before Mike comes up and preaches, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture over us to get the day rolling. Um, this is over Mike. This is over us. And this is one of the Song of Ascents, a Song of Ascents um, from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Thanks, BJ. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. Excuse me. The affliction of the body did not skip me this time. So I've been suffering alongside many of you this week with the, uh, as Christian mentioned, super spreader event of Christmas Eve. But uh, it's good to see you guys, and hopefully uh, you're feeling well enough to be here and um, we'll continue to pray for those who are at home, such as my wife and my two youngest, um, who sound like they're on the very edge of death. But they're not. They're doing just fine. It just sounds like it. So uh, this morning, if you would turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's gasps in the room. Ecclesiastes! <laughs> I knew I should have stayed home. No, I'm just kidding. You guys, so this morning, we're going to take one more week before we get back into our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. That's what we've been going through for this entire year. Um, We're going to take a break from that again this morning and look at this passage in Ecclesiastes. And next week, the first Sunday of 2024, can you believe it? It came so quickly. Um, The the first Sunday of 2024, we'll be back in our verse-by-verse study uh, through the Gospel of Mark. The passage that we're going to look at this morning is likely the most famous or well-known passage in Ecclesiastes. Um, It's probably the most often quoted that I hear anyway. And we need to remember uh, something important about Ecclesiastes, and there's a lot of conversation about who wrote the book. Some, like myself, lean towards it being Solomon, because uh, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes at the very onset says that he is the son of David. Um, But there's some textual things that you see inside of the ancient text and some different phrases of speech that are uh, not as ancient as Solomon's time actually came later. So there's some dispute over whether he wrote it or not. But this book that was quite possibly written by Solomon, or at least someone who had lived the excess of life similar to Solomon, is very revealing to us in a day and age where people find a lot of identity in what they do or a lot of identity in what they possess. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a fascinating book that sheds light on where we ought to find our true identity and what the purpose and the meaning of human beings actually is. I'm not going to do the whole book this morning, or else we would miss ice skating tonight, and we don't want to miss ice skating tonight. So I'm going to look at a few verses in chapter 3, and while these verses can be difficult to wrestle with, I believe that Um, We're given within this text the key to making our peace with what's being told to us in a passage of Scripture that seems, well, it's difficult to grasp in its entirety. Before we get there, 
the following is essential for us to address when we're reading Ecclesiastes 3, and I think it's important for us to grasp when we're looking at understanding or attempting to understand the purpose of our lives, which we know the Bible gives us clear directive as to why we're here. But something that we're going to see in the text this morning is that we must accept the fundamental fact of mortality. We have to accept it as a fundamental fact. And a lot of times, it's something that we know and that we were aware of, yet it's something that we wrestle with. It's something that we struggle with. It's something that we have a hard time grasping. And as we are creatures who live in time, we have to respond appropriately to all seasons of life as they come before our time is up. We are people who live in time. God is outside of time. But we live in time, which means that there's a clock ticking at every moment of every day for every single one of us. And that's why Moses wrote in Psalm 90, as he spoke, he said, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. He says, teach us to number the time that we have to actually consider on a regular basis just how much time the Lord has given us here on this earth. And for all of us, it's, it's a question mark. You may get today. And tomorrow might be the end of your time here. You might get 40, 50, 60, 70 more years. But that's up to the Lord. See, what we must do is respond appropriately to all seasons of life until our time is up. And this is a heavy passage for us this morning, I believe, because if we're willing to share both from our victories when God has given it, and from our pain when God has allowed it, we're going to find the Lord working through us in every circumstance. If we're willing to share not only in the victories, but if we're willing to share in the pain as well, because different seasons of life are to be expected. It's not something that should shock us. It should be expected that seasons change. And we recognize that even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the pain that God allows, he produces endurance in us because James told us so in his letter, didn't he? Right at the very beginning, which many people would say is like the Proverbs of the New Testament is the book of James. And when we read in James 1 verses 2 through 4, it says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Sorry, my readback monitor isn't on. So I'm like, are they seeing that? Okay, good. All right, you're good. And I even spelled it right. Just kidding. The Bible app did. If we're to believe the scriptures, especially the words of James and the teacher here in Ecclesiastes... And if we honestly receive it, then we have to recognize that God is glorified both in victory and in pain. God is glorified in victory, but also in suffering. He receives glory in all circumstances. And that only God is to receive the glory for the victory when won. And only God can bring ultimate victory from the pain. It's to him and unto him that all these things ought to give glory and praise. And if we can move our hearts a little further down this trail of God receiving glory through all the circumstances and situations that we go through, we're going to accomplish, I believe, what he's called us to accomplish this morning as we look at his word. That right here, in this time, our hearts, our minds, our very souls 
are meant to reflect his goodness to this world in all the circumstances that we face. I think that this was on my heart to share this week because I've been reflecting a lot on this year. This year has had some incredible highs, and it's had some pretty incredible lows. I don't know what you guys have experienced in your, your individual lives, but for some of you, we've walked through a lot of that together. And it's been very difficult at times. It's been very rejoice-inducing, joy-inducing at other times. But one thing that I've seen God do is glorify himself in the very extremes of both new life and death this year. And so I just want to consider this, and I think this passage will help us do that this morning as we reflect. And I hope that as we're reading this text, we can kind of reflect on our year. We can reflect on what God's done in the midst of our families and our church family and in our community around us. So the, the teacher, I want to call him Solomon, but we'll just say the teacher, writes this in Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in verse 1. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. Fourteen pairs in eight verses. A list of 28 events, actions, reactions, emotions, and labors that we as human beings share, as the text indicates, it says on occasion or in their season, depending on which translation you're using, they mean the same thing. Meaning that we as human beings created in the image of God will experience the good that we long to live within. We will experience good in this life. The life, love, laughing, dancing, and peaceful times. But then there's the antithesis. We're going to experience the opposite of that as well. We live in a fallen world and our lives are scarred by brokenness and consequence of sin as it surrounds us. And so there will be seasons when we experience the death, the brokenness, the weeping, the mourning, the loss, the hatred, and even the war. There can be a problem that occurs when we want to hide or pretend like the latter list of experiences either won't or are not currently happening to us. A deflection from the trials and a a focusing on only the positive. But church, I just need to say it at this point, hiding from reality is never what the church is called to do. Jesus didn't hide from reality. He didn't press into what was comfortable. Instead, he went to the cross. Instead, he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. He humbled himself to the form of a man, and he humbled himself all the way to the point of going to the most humiliating death of his time. 
Church, we're not told to pretend like pain doesn't happen or sadness or brokenness isn't real in each other's lives. We're called to engage it. We're called to face it. And we're given all the strength that we need to face it via the Holy Spirit. Amen? He's given us the ability to face all of the things that we're going through. And none of us is going to be better off for hiding from trials and struggles and pain. That's why Paul didn't stop with rejoice with those who rejoice in Romans 12, 15. He followed it up with weep with those who weep. Experience those seasons. In fact, some of the most impactful ministry that you may do in 2024 might be in those moments of weeping with those who weep and experiencing pain in others' lives so that you can be a comfort to them. Some of the most impactful things that God called me to do this year was to sit with families who wept at the loss of loved ones. Some of you are probably aware, many, maybe most of you are aware, um, that prior to this year, I, I had played music for memorials, but I'd never, I'd never officiated a memorial. And this year, within a matter of four months, I officiated three. And I tell you what, I think the Lord worked amazingly beyond what I could have ever expected or even thought of in those times sitting with families weeping over the loss of feeling that pain and that suffering and not hiding from it. Because I tell you what, if you ask, would you like pain? Would you like to go sit with people who are weeping? Or would you like to go hang out with people who are rejoicing? I don't know that any of us would be like, oh, give me the pain and the weeping. That sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. But do you know where the Lord called us to be? He called us to live in the season that he has provided us to live in. And if we recognize that there's an occasion for everything, then we realize that being with people in pain and suffering and and struggle is an occasion that he's called us to. It's something he's empowered us for. It's not to be hidden from. It's to be embraced. Because how much do those who are suffering and hurting need to be embraced and reminded that God is right there present with them? How much do they need to see him in us as we minister to them? It's not a curse, it's a blessing. God works powerfully in those times. The writer of Hebrews gets a little more hardcore. He says this in Hebrews 13, 3, Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. He says, be so powerfully present with people that even though you're not in chains, it's like you are. Even though you may not be suffering in the same ways, even though you're not being mistreated like they are, that you yourself are feeling that. Have you ever empathized so much with someone? Have you ever sympathized with someone's situation that it started to affect you? It started, you started to feel that emotion. You started to connect with them where they were. That's the essence of mourning with those who mourn and weeping with those who weep. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a bad thing. We're to seek out those who are suffering and share with them in that suffering, just as Jesus shared in ours when he took on human flesh. We're inspired by what God did when he said, I will send my son and he will become just like humanity. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, and he says, you know what? He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So he can sympathize with us in every way. He wants to do that in us as well. Jesus didn't sin, but he felt that temptation. He's felt that. He's been there. 
And he's called us to connect with each other and to be of comfort to each other. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we ought to comfort one another with the same comfort that God has given to us. He has been overflowing his comfort and his grace and his goodness to us. And we are given that opportunity to do that for each other in times of difficulty. This is what the body in its true realization looks like. Sharing in seasons of life together because we are indeed connected to each other. And when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. Don't believe me? Stub your toe. We know what it's like when a small part of your body hurts. It it affects everything. It's like, ah, it can really get to you. You guys, it's the same with us. We're the body of Christ. When one of us is hurting, it's hurting all of us. And it ought to cause a response of healing and ministry amongst the church for that part of the body that's reeling and hurting. Church, we share in these seasons of life together. Reflection can be a really helpful and necessary habit for us to ask ourselves the following, especially as we stand on the cusp of beginning a new year tomorrow. Are we sensitive to the seasons that our brothers and sisters around us are in? Am I aware Are we rejoicing with each other in the victories? Do you get excited for people that that God's doing powerful things in life? Are Are we thrilled with that? Do we rejoice with them? Are we mourning with those who have lost or are struggling? You know, those who lost loved ones this year, that pain hasn't gone away. And oftentimes, the time that feels the most lonely is the time when the memorial is done and everything's been finished. And it gets really quiet. It gets really quiet and it feels like no one's really thinking about you anymore. For those of you who know the people in this church who have lost loved ones, would you reach out to them this week? Check in on them? Maybe go have coffee or or bring them a lunch? Because they're not past it. They're still hurting. Are we mourning with those who have lost or struggling? Are we celebrating with those who've had victory? This is in no way condemnation. This is a desire to be illuminated. Lord, would you show us who needs to be ministered to, first in the body and then in our community? Because if we don't take care of our own, if we don't take care of our church family, how are we going to be ready to take care of our community? How are we accurately going to represent Christ to the world if we're not representing him to each other? It's a challenge for us to step forward and encourage one another and be there for one another. That we would embrace Hebrews 13.3 as an essential to being a loving church community. That if one of you is hurting, I'm hurting with you. That if one of you is rejoicing, I am rejoicing with you. There's both opportunity and purpose in what we go through church. I think we know that. But it's important for us to remember it. Look what the writer of Ecclesiastes 3 continues to say, beginning in verse 9. I'll read down through verse 15. He continues on after giving us all these comparisons. And he says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He's also, notice this, put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work of God or the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. 
There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been. Whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. As is the case with many parts of Ecclesiastes, we could look at what's being said from the negative point of view. And at times the writer does that and says, what's the point? It's almost like he's just throwing his hands up and is like, life is pointless. It's useless. It's all vanity. He says it over and over again at different points. All that I work for will be lost in the end. So what's the point of working? But the teacher, even though he's quite jaded with life and is broken by the excess of sin that he explains at different movements throughout this book of poetry, he speaks truth and we see it from the perspective of the church. There's not only more to the picture, there's a canvas beneath the painting. There's a structure underneath that upholds and reveals what's being put upon it. And this is what it is. He, speaking of God, has made everything appropriate in its time. That's from verse 11. And he says, he has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Not only is God infinite and beyond our complete understanding, because if you could fully understand God, that would make you like him. And we're not. Infinite finite. We should always keep that in perspective. That's why we're always discovering something amazing and wonderful about God, that the depths of his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness is fathomless if you're wanting to swim in that ocean. There is no bottom to it. There is no limit to the depth that you can plunge to, to understand the goodness and the grace and the amazing love of God. He's made everything appropriate in his time, and only God understands the beginning from the end fully. But I think this is a very powerful part of verse 11. He put eternity in our hearts. God has put eternity in humanity. He's put it into our hearts. This explains so much about our longing. This explains so much about our satisfaction here on this earth. And it's what gives value to what we do. It doesn't devalue what we do. If God has put eternity in our hearts, it means that what I'm doing on this earth reflects an eternal God for the world to see, who can save those who are lost in their sin for all eternity through his son, Jesus Christ. It means that what I do here doesn't just echo here on this earth for a shortened period of time. God's eternity that he's put into our hearts reveals to us that he is going to take us on after death to something new. It means that this next year that's coming has value because it will echo into eternity. And so we ought to be very, very excited at what God's going to do in the seasons of what comes next. It ought to give us this excitement and anticipation of what he's going to do in the good and the bad. And I know that nobody wants this like, ah, I just, I don't, could we not have a, my, my kids and I have been talking about this a lot uh, over the last like month or so, but especially in the last couple of weeks. Like, could we not have a year like 2023 again? Real, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I'm tired. I was more sick this year, struggled more this year, wrestled more this year, felt pain and suffering and loss in so many different ways. And right as we were talking about this at the end of November, and it was starting to come up that we were getting close to December a family member on my wife's side passed away. And the memorial got moved to January. So we're going to be doing the memorial in January because they didn't want to do it in, in December. 
And so at the beginning of 2024, I get the opportunity to go minister to my wife's side of the family as they gather around their grandfather and say goodbye. And a lot of the emotion that was coming with that from my family was, here we go again. And it caused me to stop and look at 2023, look at this year, and start to really experience some gratitude. Not just in what God did that was rejoicing, that we could rejoice over, victories, but also in what he did in the pain and the suffering. Some of the best things that happened to me this year were the hardest for me to go through. In fact, the best things that I think happened this year were the hardest things that I went through. It was then that the Lord pulled me close, revealed his character to me, revealed his love for me in ways that I wouldn't have seen if it had been all easy and rejoiceful. Never occurred to me before reading this text that Christians are hybrids of types. I don't run electricity, but um, we're temporal. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. You're like, wow, you should be getting better mileage. I know. Like, we're temporal, meaning we're physical and understand that death is a very real season that we're all going to experience. And yet we have an inner longing for eternity because God has written it into our hearts. We're, we're temporal. We understand that there's a part of us physically that is temporary, but then there's an eternal side as well. Do you ever feel like you, you kind of understand that tension? You're like, yeah, I get that. Like, I feel like I will die someday, but I'm eternal. So like, I'm kind of a hybrid. I don't know. That was the term that came to mind for me. You're like, that doesn't work. It does for me, okay. You guys, it's why you and I, I believe, struggle to find peace in this life because we're looking at the temporal, not the eternal. We can find and have peace in this life if we think eternally like God created us to because we see the big picture. I don't need to understand the whole big picture, but I can understand that there is a bigger picture that is eternal that God has said is secured in Christ Jesus so I can have peace no matter what I'm going through. That's really encouraging. My peace isn't based on what I'm going, on, going through right now in the immediate present. My peace is based on eternity, which he has put into my heart. This is like the nucleus of hope that's within us. This is the key to having joy beyond the physical world. And it's what Jesus was speaking of in John 16, there in the upper room, as he's finishing the upper room discourse and he's about to pray. In John 16, 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in you, so that in me, excuse me, you may have what? Peace. I've told you these things so that in, yep, in me you may have peace you will have suffering in this world jesus said be courageous i have conquered the world if you are feeling downcast if you are struggling if you are disheartened read that verse put it on a card stick it to your bathroom mirror somewhere where you can see it all the time take heart be courageous i have conquered the world the seasons of life are just that they're seasons What's something that we understand about seasons? They come and go. Don't they? You know, it's winter right now. One of my least favorite. But do you know what gives me hope? Spring's coming. 
And then summer, glorious summer is coming where the warmth will return and the sicknesses will leave. But you guys, and, and some people are like, you're sick, winter's the best. To each his own. But here's the thing. You guys realize that something we understand about seasons is that they change. That they do come and go. There's an underlying hope of eternity and restoration that will come with the return of Jesus. There are seasons in this life. It would be wrong of us to give our lives to excessive mourning and toil, just the same as it would be for us to be excessive in laughter and dancing, because there's a season for both. There's an appropriateness for both. And we understand what that is in most cases, but I think that in our own hearts, we need to realize when we are letting our lack of balance in that steal peace away from us because we're thinking temporally instead of eternally. Life requires balance when we recognize the appropriate seasons that God has established for us. Many are obsessed with every season of life being dancing and laughter. I'm an extrovert by nature, but I can change. Um, I'd like to think of myself as an omnivert now. I blame my wife for that mostly. But I, I used to look for that kind of energy, joy, laughter. Like that was the atmosphere that I wanted to be in all the time. And I think that years of not only just life and getting older, but also doing ministry for quite a few years now, has started to show me that there is a purpose in all of them. I may have agreed with it on paper, but I, I agree with it in belief now. And I actually feel myself pressing into those seasons of difficulty because I know what God's going to bring from them. And if it encourages you to hear this, some of you have gone through a lot in the last couple of years. Some have moved, some have lost people, some have gone through really difficult things within your family. I just want to encourage you to press into those situations, to open your ears to them and continue to seek the Lord through them because he will be glorified in those seasons as well. He will bring us through that storm. And don't, don't miss the forest for the trees. Think eternally. See the big picture. And as often as you need to, go back to the Word of God and see how often He directs us to that type of thinking. Eternal thinking. The experience of the writers of the Psalter is fascinating to me to read through. The Psalter, the Psalms, the songbook of the Bible. Is it all joy and rejoicing and good times? If you've read a handful of Psalms, you know that is not so. Um, there's a full variety and expression of brokenness, happiness, all the emotions just come pouring out. David, especially in his Psalms, did not hold back when it came to expressing what he was feeling. Sometimes we look at it, we're like, wait, I can feel that way. And go, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. You know, it's, it's describing to you what he's going through. It's not saying, you really ought to want to crush your enemies into tiny little speckles of dust. They're like, oh, that doesn't seem to fit the rest of the Bible. You guys, the songbook of the Bible, the Psalter, does not meditate on how it's all good all the time. It actually shows us the wide variety of seasons and difficulties and victories that the writers would go through. There are highs and lows. There's a recognition that God's faithfulness, however, is revealed in all of those seasons. There is a constant through the seasons of our life, and that is that God remains faithful always. Always. And within that understanding, there is rejoicing 
and there is tears. There is happiness and there is anger. Again, before moving forward, are we sensitive to this not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others? When someone's down, we like to cheer them up, but the best encouragement I've experienced, and I believe is quite biblical, is for someone who's just willing to come and sit and cry with you. You may have noticed it in Ecclesiastes 3. He said that there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. There's a time to just sit there and be present. Just be with somebody. Let them speak. My wife said it to me this week in a really gentle way that didn't hurt my feelings at all. She was talking about some stuff she's going, she's not here this morning, so I'm having a ball. No, but she, she was talking about some things that, that were going on in the family that, you know, her extended family, and she was explaining the situation to me. And, and here I come with my hammer and my screwdriver and my tool belt, and I'm going to fix it all. So I just start talking about all the ways that this should be working and how it shouldn't be working. And she looks at me and she goes, did it ever occur to you? I just needed you to listen. And she said it really, okay, she said it a lot nicer than I just, everyone's like, ooh. No, she actually was really gracious about it. But I was like, no. It didn't. It honestly didn't. 21 years of marriage, I still haven't figured this out. She just wanted me to listen. That was a time not to speak. And here I am studying and prepping to teach Ecclesiastes to the church. And I'm like, I I don't have anything to say that's worth saying in that moment. Just listen. Just be someone whose ears are open. You guys, we all together know what that feels like because we've all made those mistakes. We need to pray and ask the Lord to make us sensitive. Make us sensitive to the moment, sensitive to what people need and how we can encourage them. We're given one more reminder in verse 11 that I want to key in on. It's the very last part of that verse. And I read that whole section just so we kind of have context for it. But the teacher says, No one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Within the construct of eternity, there is built an essential need on our part to have active faith. Whenever you see in the Bible that the work that God has done from beginning to end is for him to know and him alone. It's like when Jesus looked at those around him and said, no man knows the day or the hour except the Father. And someone's like, not even you, Jesus? He's like, do I need to say it again? Right? There are things that only God knows. That only God himself knows. And that means that there are going to be portions, if not the majority of my life, that I ought to walk by active faith, trusting in his faithfulness, trusting in his ability. Francis Chan said it really well, and I'll paraphrase the quote because I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said, God desires his people to walk by faith. He says, we should routinely put ourselves in situations. We shouldn't hesitate to put ourselves in situations where we will be in serious trouble if he doesn't show up. But God's people, somehow we get drawn into this worldly way of thinking, the temporal way of thinking that I need to have every answer for every possible problem in place before I take that step of faith. But I would contest with those of you who have lived enough life, the greatest decisions that you made, were they 100%? The things that God has done in your life that had the most impact that you look back on and go, wow, were you 100% sure that that was going to work out? Or did you feel like the Lord was calling you to do something and by faith you took a step and moved in that direction? 
You placed your faith in God and said, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I fully believe this is what you want me to do, and I'm going to go by faith. You see, we all talk about George Mueller, but not many of us want to live like him. And if you're unfamiliar, go look up George Mueller. He's a guy who did ministry the opposite of every quote-unquote successful church today, which is just trusting in God to provide at every juncture and every turn. To the point where at one evening he was sitting at the table with nothing for dinner with the children and said, we're just going to pray because he was running an orphanage. And lo and behold, the milkman shows up and the bread man shows up and the story goes that they were provided dinner through prayer that night. People looking at that's amazing. That's living life by faith. That's practically putting yourself in a position for God to provide. There's nothing wrong with being wise about what God has given us in good stewards. But if we are depending on that to get the work of God done, we are depending on the wrong thing because it is our God who will accomplish all that he desires in us and through us by his means, not through so often what we choose to lean upon. With the construct of eternity, there is built in us an essential need to have active faith. We're traversing terrain that only God knows. We're in waters that only he knows. He's the only one that knows them from beginning to end. We don't have the charts for the waters that we're in oftentimes in our lives, do we? For the season that we're in, we're out in open water. I don't know how to get from here to there. But God knows the beginning from the end. Who should we trust? Our instincts are the one who knows it. Our faith in him grows through the seasons where we have to lean on him this way. 2024 is coming. I hope that this is a year where we step forward in faith in ways like we have never stepped forward before. Both as a church body and in our individual lives as well. That we would not hesitate to take steps of faith and see just how great our God is. And watch him do things that will amaze us. You guys, recognition of God's eternal existence will give us a perspective and encouragement in all seasons of life. Paul wrote a hymn of praise in Romans 11. It's one of my favorite sections in the New Testament. It was like he couldn't contain himself any longer. He just like bursts into praise. And in verse 33, he says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We should just think about that for a really long time. Oh, the depths of of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things and to him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen? Such a powerful passage. If I can embrace that God's riches and wisdom and knowledge are fathomless, I can weather the difficult and the restful seasons alike, the victories and the pain of loss. If I can embrace that he is God and I am not, and that he works in ways that I cannot see nor comprehend, then I can weather all of these seasons. I hope that Ecclesiastes 3 has encouraged us all to press on. To not only press on, but to go forward 
knowing that our God is still in control. That he has not weakened, that he has not lacked any love towards us, and that he continues to be faithful in every way. As we look at his scriptures and as we look at his word, and I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times people will begin a Bible reading plan on January 1st and try and read through their Bible in a year. We provide the Dwell app for our church body. So if you have the Dwell app, um, you can go through any number of plans that read through the Bible in a year. If you don't have it, there's a QR we can give you, um, or we can give you the link, and you can sign up for free. Um, the church pays for subscriptions for our members so that you guys can have that. It's like audible, but the scriptures. It's awesome. I hope that this year, and we will do everything we can to provide you the tools to do this, that we spend a lot of time in the scriptures. Because there's so much encouragement here And so many of the things that we're struggling with are answered in the word of God. They're answered right here. We're just not going to the Lord with what we're really struggling with and being honest about what he said. I want to encourage you guys. Let's dig in deep this year. Let's press on and press on with hearts that are not only submitted, but thankful to God for his salvation through Christ and the many blessings that we take for granted. He has blessed us so much. He has done so much in our lives. May we have hearts of thankfulness in the midst of the good and the bad. Paul said it well in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace will guard you. And that's the peace that Jesus says, He has given to us through salvation and via the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can have that peace right now. It's in us because the Holy Spirit is in us, church. Worship team, would you guys come on up? This morning, we're going to have a time just to worship and praise. and, And I hope it's a time of reflection as well. But we get to do something else this morning that I love to do. And it's the outward expression of an inward reality. Uh, David's going to get baptized this morning, and um, his buddies Josh and and Tyler, who you know, intern graduate Tyler, my Thai homeboy, um, we traveled many a trail together, Um, they're going to come up, they're going to baptize David this morning, and I just want to remind you guys, this is such a cool thing to do, the last Sunday of the year, this will be the 19th baptism in this church this year, and... Isn't God good? It, it's been such a difficult year in so many ways, but, but I, as I was reflecting on this and just excited that these guys got to, to do a baptism, and, and here's the cool part. I'm not getting in the water. Usually it's me back here. Guys, this is what's beautiful. God is doing a work through the discipleship and the ministry of the body. These guys have been going on a journey together, and the Lord has brought it here. And so they're going to baptize their own homeboy. That's awesome. I love it. You guys, this is what we are so excited about is that God is bringing lost souls into his kingdom. That God is doing a work in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people in our community. This is what I'm praying for. That we would see so many people get saved in our community. That we would be running out of room for people to sit in this sanctuary because the lost are coming to know Jesus. Church, that's, that's our commissioning. 
That's the great commission that was given to all of us, that we would go and that we would preach the gospel and that we would disciple and that we would baptize and that we would be doing this work of the ministry together. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but there's a very ripe harvest that needs to be harvested out there. Guys, we need laborers. We need to get out there and start doing the work of the ministry together. It's a very exciting thing. I'm excited to to celebrate this. So as these guys lead us in worship, they're going to get David in the water. They're going to baptize him. We're going to cheer because it's that picture of the old man dying and a new creation in Christ coming up out of the water. That outward beautiful picture that we're commanded to do to represent what's happened inside. It's the inward reality that we are no longer dead to sin. We are now alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to celebrate with David. Lord, to encourage Josh and Tyler as they've mentored and walked with him. Lord, and more than any of these things, to glorify you, our God, because only you can save humanity from the clutches of sin and death. Jesus, your work on the cross, your completed work, and your resurrection have the power to transform us from death to life. Lord, as we believe in you, as we proclaim that you are Lord and you are God, you save us from our sin. It's by grace, through faith, we haven't worked to achieve it. It's all of you. And so Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we celebrate your work on the cross and your resurrection. And Lord, may we just worship and praise you with song and celebration this morning in spirit and in truth, and we ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.